Hello, this is Lost in Bronx, and this is Theater of the Imagination, Part 5. I know, I know, it's been a long time since my last installment, but I'm here now, so quit your crabbing. If you're new to this series on HPR, basically, this is my take on dramatic audio media in various forms, past and present, upon my own exploration of this art form, and most importantly, how and why you might want to explore it yourself. This series is not exhaustive, it's not encyclopedic, these are just my opinions. I'm a writer, actor, and producer of dramatic audio, so naturally, I have some specific views on the topic, and this is what I cover. You can find out all the facts you'll ever want without my help. Just do a web search for old-time radio, or audio drama, or audio theater. That term has been gaining some traction lately. You'll get more information than you could digest in a lifetime. So, anyway, there is a bit of a format to this show. First off, I talk about my equipment and how I'm using it. Last time I covered my microphone. This time, I want to go over the external USB sound card that I have. It's a cheap little thing called a Fast Track USB by the brand M-Audio, who make a wide range of products. This particular device is discontinued, but you can still find them on eBay and such, and if someone is asking more than 15 or 20 bucks US for it, they're shafting you. Brand new, it cost me 40 and that's when they were still making them. There'll be a link in the show notes for details on this exact model, in case you really want to know about it, but there are new products out by M-Audio to apparently replace it. For instance, the M-Audio Fast Track USB 2. That's right, don't be confused. It's the new, improved, much more expensive one. It's probably better. The price tag promises that much. Well, that's not what I have, and for the purpose of this series, when I refer to the Fast Track in this episode or any others, I'm talking specifically about mine. Now, What was my advantage in using a USB sound card or sound device or whatever marketing terms they use to describe this thing as opposed to just using the internal onboard sound chip of my main machine? Well, first off, if you happen to have a dedicated sound card for your computer with all the cool advantages and powers that come with that, then odds are you put it in yourself and you already know the advantages of having it. The uses are many and technical, and I don't have one of those myself, so I'm not going to pursue that topic. Instead, I can tell you the one major advantage of the Fast Track. It has an XLR mic input on the back. This is important, since I use an XLR mic to record my audio projects. And this is the Fast Track USB, remember. So that means the mic hooks into an XLR cable, the cable runs to a phantom power supply for the mic, and then on to the Fast Track, which hooks into my computer through the USB connection. Now, I bought the Fast Track specifically to be used in that fashion. I don't use it that way anymore, for reasons I'll get into another time, but I do still use it as a dedicated sound card just for Ardour, a Linux-native digital audio workstation that is a major player in my current audio process. My first dramatic audio project was a science fiction story called Blue Heaven, and I used the nice mic to the fast track to the computer setup I just described. 
but not to my desktop machine. My desktop is loud. Noise from its motherboard is really bad to any mic plugged directly into it, but that noise is dwarfed by the power supply fan, which sounds like a jet engine taking off at all times. It's simply too loud to use for audio projects that demand, well, a certain level of polish. So instead, I used my 2GIG Triple EPC 701 Surf. You know, the ones, first netbooks to market and all that, with those old Celeron processors. Well, mine was running Puppy Linux, which loaded into RAM for the sake of speed, and I hooked my nice mic into it through the fast track. Following this, there's going to be a quiz. Now, I recorded my primary voice work on Blue Heaven that way. It wasn't easy, and I had to flush the RAM every three or four minutes or the machine would fill up and crash, but it worked. I won't ever do it that way again, but it was a learning experience. But understand that in this context... Learning experience is my euphemism for almost more trouble than it was worth. The fast track can also take a quarter-inch audio jack and has settings dedicated to electric guitars, but that's not something I need. I'm not a musician, so half of this thing's functionality is lost on me. If you do play guitar, though, and maybe sing or whatever, then you might want to get something small and cheap and useful, like the M-Audio Fast Track USB. It's not fancy, but what it does, it does well. The Bickersons have retired. Mrs. Bickerson lies rigid but awake in the darkness as poor husband John, victim of an obscure type of insomnia that prevents other people from sleeping, exhibits the telltale symptoms of his dread affliction. Listen. <laughs> 1946, on the NBC radio network in the United States, a comedy sketch-slash-sitcom series began that ranged over quite a few variety shows, such as The Old Gold Show, The Chase and Sanborn Hour, and Dream Time, D-R-E-N-E. Dream was a shampoo back then made by Procter & Gamble, who were the sponsors of the show. The sketch series that I'm referring to was called The Bickersons. This is easily one of the funniest, best-written, and most widely influential shows in American comedy history. Now, I do an audio sitcom of my own called Eddie K, and if you listen to it, you will no doubt spot the influence of the Bickersons, just as you will with The Honeymooners, The Flintstones, same show really, All in the Family, Roseanne, The King of Queens, Everybody Loves Raymond, Seinfeld, The Simpsons, and many, many more. You may or may not like any of those shows, and none of them is an out-and-out copy of The Bickersons, but I'm not sure that any of them would have been made without it, including my own. The show followed an extremely simple formula, and most installments consisted of the two main characters, married couple John and Blanche, having the most uproarious and obtuse conversations imaginable in bed at two in the morning. Honestly, that's all that happens on most episodes, yet it's brilliant. I'll have a link in the show notes to a good page on archive.org with lots of episodes. With lightning-fast, combative wordplay and the superlative acting talents of Don Amici and Francis Langford, the Bickersons, which went on in various forms for a bunch of years, including a short stint on early television, is the gold standard that all of us doing this kind of comedy measure the process by. It literally does not get better than this. Will you like it? 
I couldn't say, because comedy is the most personal of all art forms. Nothing is more subjective, nothing is more mysterious, and nothing, not a single thing in the arts, is harder to do well. But nearly 70 years ago, they pulled it off very well indeed with the Bickersons. Tell the truth, John. If if anything happened to me, would you marry again? Never, never again. <laughs> Tell me your name, and tell me who you were in your life. My name was Ludlove, and I was a witch hunter. Hunter Chronicles is a completed nine-episode epic fantasy audio drama from the appropriately named production house Audio Epics. Written by Domian de Groot or de Groot or something like that. Directed by Eileen Hoskins and set in a dark world of magic, horror, and religious tyranny. Witch Hunter follows the story of the heroic traitor Ludlov, recently expired, as he explains to death himself how exactly he got to be that way. You'll want to wear your headphones for this one, because it is a sterling example of immersive audio. If you listen with your eyes closed, guaranteed you will see a world form in your mind. A frightening place of great deeds and greater secrets, of grand villainy and simple kindness, of witches and those who hunt them down. With a sweeping original score, marvelous voice acting, and audio engineering to rival the best, this self-contained series is not to be missed. If you're sitting there, as I know some of you are, saying to yourself, well, I might be good, but who cares? I don't like audiobooks. Then hear these words. You don't know what you're talking about. You think you do, but you do not. www.audioepics.com Shut this HPR episode off right now because nothing I'm going to say here is even a fraction as cool as the fascinating world of... The Witch Hunter Chronicles. I don't know what you expect. What? Please, Luthlof, tell me! There really isn't much time, Semina. That guard outside could wake up at any moment. Please, Ludlov, what's going on? The Grand General has approved the Magicide Act. In short, it means that all possible magic users will be killed outright. Now for a short bit of feedback. Hey, Lost in Bronx, it's Deep Geek from the Talk Geek to Me newscast, www.talkgeektome.us. Want to tell you how much I hope to hear more you talk about old-time radio. I know you primarily discuss radio plays. However, I have been listening lately to the old Bing Crosby NBC programs off of archive.org. I was wondering if you could touch on... Um, this form of old-time radio. And I'm curious as to what you think, or I should say, if you think that 
Um, this is just a nostalgia kick that will only apply to certain generations. In other words, this, this, to relate it to something else, there's classical music, and people will listen to, say, a Vivaldi concerto um, for, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a part of a canon of classic music that will always be listenable to by certain people who have that interest. It's always going to be done. I was, I was wondering if you thought that there's such a thing as uh, a classic radio that will transcend generations of people and interest people in centuries to come instead of mere decades. Uh, thanks for entertaining the question, and I'll be seeing you around the webs. First off, thanks, Deep Geek, for uh, sending that in. It's only been about a year since you've done it, and I'm sure you've already forgotten that you did. But um, that's all right. We don't mind, do we? Everything is immortal on the Internet. And speaking of immortal, some forms of entertainment and art are indeed immortal, and they transcend time quite easily. Other things are a harder sell as time goes on because they get pulled out of the context of their time. And uh, the social and more relevant elements that make up for the humor or the entertainment value of the day get lost as the generations pass. Some shows and some entertainers were a lot better at pulling that sort of thing off. That being said, if, you know, somebody like Bing Crosby, who was a big enough star for a long enough time that he'll have fans forever, there's always going to be somebody who likes Bing Crosby, there's always going to be somebody that enjoys his sort of music, and, you know, he more or less had guests and musicians and such on a show of his that are going to be more or less in his class, you know. I guess my point is that... No, I don't think a show like that has eternal value to most people. It will always have historical value. And for people that can't appreciate it, I think that it will live forever. But the average listener doesn't listen to it now. And I don't think that's going to change in time. I think that in time, even fewer people will be listening to that sort of show. Does that mean that sort of show is devoid of value? By no means. By no means. But there's a difference between eternal universal humor, eternal universal enjoyment of a particular art form, and topical humor or a pop sense of music, right? Then, like pop music of a particular era, unless we're talking about a nostalgia kick, Only people who are like musical historians are going to have any interest in that sort of thing. Only people that have a true appreciation for that era are going to really enjoy it. You know, a hundred years from now, very, very few people will have listened to the shows you're listening to now. And it's just a, a natural progression. I don't know. People are going to enjoy older stuff only if they study it. You know, you're enjoying Bing Crosby. Well, you know, you grew up in an era and you remember seeing him on television, you know, when the guy was still alive. And you do have some sense of Bing Crosby. But younger generations will have to do real investigative work to appreciate this guy and his voice, right? And he did have a tremendous voice. I didn't always enjoy his choice of music because he did a lot of poppy stuff and he did a lot of schmaltzy stuff. But that doesn't take away from 
the value he had as an entertainer because there were a lot of people that really, really enjoyed him. I have, you know, as I outlined today, I have a real appreciation for some of the older comedy forms. He wasn't the funniest guy in the world. You know, he did do a little bit of comedy. You know, he's mostly known as a singer and movie star. But someone like, say, Jack Benny. I think Jack Benny's humor is very universal. You can laugh at most of what he does on his old, the old Jack Benny radio shows without knowing a great deal about the era. That has a lot of universal appeal to me. The music of that period is something I like as well, but not everyone does. And if you don't, a variety show that's devoid of that anchor that people can hook onto, if you don't like that music, you're not going to enjoy sitting through a show that has it. So, I don't know how much universal appeal these things have. Because, don't forget, this was pop music. Some of it, some of it lives forever. Some of it we remember as famous songs that, you know, get reused as the generations go by. But a lot of it gets lost. And a lot of it is not going to have the appeal of a particular person's generation. And, uh, in my opinion... You need to study this stuff to get a great appreciation of it. You know, the older and further back you go. And that's not a bad thing, but it's not a free thing. It doesn't happen automatically. You have to make the effort. Like anything, the more you learn, the more you can appreciate it. And the more discerning you can become. Because, you know, like any other era, most of what they produced was crap. And we only remember the good stuff. That's true today. The vast majority of what's on television or in the movies is garbage. And yet there are a few things that people are going to remember as time goes on. So to make this more succinct, I would say, no, I don't think all of that has universal or eternal appeal. I think some of it does, the best of it. And the rest of it is going to be an acquired or learned taste. I'm glad you're enjoying it, and I enjoy that sort of thing too. But I think a lot of people need it to be interpreted for their generation. It's simply because the rest of it is so much labor to understand what they're talking about, to understand the context, and to appreciate the art forms that were prevalent in that time period. So, enjoy your old stuff, and... I will enjoy mine, and people that appreciate it will enjoy theirs. And I hope a little bit of what I'm saying here will inspire someone to investigate these things because they're worth it. But it isn't always easy to find the good stuff, and it isn't always easy to understand what's good when every frame of reference has been worn away by time. So that's that's my opinion. Now, this is the soapbox portion of the show, and this time around, I want to talk about starting and finishing projects. What motivates me to begin an artistic endeavor, and when do I know it's done? Well, some people can't seem to ever get started on a thing. I'm one of them. I've done some stuff recently, but I've also done an awful lot of nothing for an awful long time, always intending to start that great idea I have tomorrow. 
But every tomorrow is also a yesterday, and what matters more, it's also a right now. And right now is the only place we live, so waiting for another day, if you don't have to, is pointless. I don't have to tell you any of this. There's a whole industry of motivational books, speakers, courses, software, you name it. Something in your life or your research will resonate with you, or it won't. But either way, you need to start a thing in order to finish it. Now, I'm not short of ideas. Neither are you. Speaking solely of audio drama, if you can't think of something that interests you, if you can't think of a good story to tell, well, then you're either overthinking it or you're dismissing it out of hand. Both of those do you no good. It doesn't matter if your idea has been done before. They've all been done before. And it doesn't matter if you don't know where to begin because you begin by doing. You begin by listening to other shows to get a sense of what works and what doesn't. You begin with writing and you create your story and your script. Forget the hardware. Forget questions of talent or skill. Hardware can be acquired. It's just stuff. Talent is largely illusory, certainly overrated, and completely out of anyone's control. It's not worth a single thought or fret. That just leaves skill. And skill, like hardware, can be acquired. So, you've listened to old-time radio. You've listened to the newer stuff. You've found some shows you like, and you've found a whole lot of them that you don't. By now, you've likely come across a show or two for which you really wish there were more episodes available. Something about the show shines for you. Maybe it's the concept, the genre, the acting, the music, whatever it is. Well, there's your idea. Right there. I like space opera. Ray guns and rockets. Daring do. It's not the only thing I like, but it's a personal favorite. My latest audio project, the Star Drifter series, reflects that. I want to hear more stories like this. I want to pretend I'm a spaceman on a spaceship. I want to zap the bad guys and fly between stars. If I could do it in real life, I would. So I've come up with a storyline that lets me do it in my head. What do you like? Fantasy? Horror? Mystery? Drama? Romance? Combinations thereof. Something that mixes your worldview, perhaps, with your hobby. If you find them compelling in real life, then you have your story. Scott Sigler, who needs no introduction from me, has a successful book and patio book series revolving around something called the Galactic Football League. American-style football in the future in outer space with aliens. Now that's an idea fueled by personal passion, if I ever heard one. Sigler loves science fiction and he loves football. And so do a lot of other people, apparently, because the books sell really well. An audio drama based on those stories would be loved by a lot of people. Personal interests, personal passion, that's your story. And you've got one because you're alive. You spend your time on Earth doing things, occasionally things you enjoy. So let your story flow from there. Okay, so you've jumped that hurdle and you've begun. All the stuff that happens in the middle now is work. It can be fun too, but it is time and labor and you have to take it seriously because no one else will. I'll go over my own methods of writing, recording, and producing audio drama in future installments, but that really doesn't matter. 
You can only learn by immersing yourself in your art form and by practicing it. Listen to shows, then write one. Get some friends together and record it. You can turn it into a party if it helps you or them get over yourselves. No one else has to hear it at all if you think it sucks. But you decide that it doesn't and you press on. You produce it and add sound effects and music. You're done! Or are you? How do you know when you're done? How do you know when your art piece is completed? Well, when you run out of jobs to do and you find yourself tweaking. And tweaking. And tweaking. That's when you're done. Endlessly fine-tuning an already well-tuned machine is compulsive and unproductive. Some artists can't get past that point. Maybe for them the art is in the doing, not in the having done. If so, then they don't need to worry about finishing up. The rest of us have a project we want to present at some point, though, so we need to know when to step away. Deadlines help. They can also hinder. They can make you nervous or feel guilty. But a, a soft deadline, um, a coma line, we'll call it, that can be of real use in an art project. When the major tasks are done, you set a date. A date you can revise if a big problem or showstopper, uh, pun intended, comes up, but one that remains firm otherwise. The tweaking has a coma line beyond which you will no longer engage in it. So, the date has arrived. Boom! You're done. You are done. Because you stopped. You called it quits. Now, good enough isn't good enough. Not for your art. But pretty good is pretty good. And that's what you've got now. Something that, by your own efforts, and by your own standards, is pretty good. And guess what? With what you've learned this time, your next project will be even better. If you push your skills to match your vision, your art comes out the winner every time. Well, that's it for this episode. I'll really try to get another one out soon. But in the meantime, you shouldn't believe me because I lie a lot. I'm an actor. It's what I do. You can contact me at lostinbronx at gmail.com. That's L-O-S-T-N-B-R-O-N-X at gmail. Feel free to check out my site and my own artistic projects at cavalcadeaudio.com. And please, please consider contributing your own episode to Hacker Public Radio. Remember what I said, you've got ideas. Now let's hear them. This has been Lost in Bronx. Thank you for listening. Take care. You have been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by a HBR listener like yourself. If you ever considered recording a podcast, then visit our website to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club. HBR is funded by the Binary Revolution at binrev.com. All binrev projects are proudly sponsored by Lunar Pages. From shared hosting to custom private clouds, go to lunarpages.com for all your hosting needs. 
unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike 3.0 license.